Good morning. It's uh, awesome to be here today. And, and last week we kicked off a new sermon series called Just an Old Fashioned Love Song. And we're looking at the Song of Solomon. And, and as I shared with you last week, um, I've never in, in, I don't know how many years now, 13 years of ministry preached on the Song of Solomon. And so I thought, why not? I'll give it a shot. And um, it's harder than I thought it would be. Um, because a lot of it I don't want to read out loud, to be quite honest, in front of everyone here at church this morning. Um, there's a lot of interesting things in the Song of Solomon. And this morning, um, we're going to continue looking at the story of the Song of Solomon. And if you remember last week, um, there was a man and a woman, and they were sort of, you know, seeing each other and commenting on each other, and they were very interested in each other. And the chorus on the outside of this was, sort of cheering them along, the coming together of this man and this woman. And when we get to the text this morning, um, things have developed a little bit. Um, It's now a bride talking to her soon-to-be husband. Um, She is now about to be betrothed, married to this guy. And so they've progressed a little bit from just the looking to, um, to the sort of committing here. And... And so the text that we're about to read in Song of Solomon chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. This is the woman speaking to her soon-to-be husband. These are words that she is saying to him. And uh, you can read along here with me. I'm going to read off the screen. It says, The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. She says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil our vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And again, the language in this text, I mean, there's a lot of things you can kind of read into. Remember I said it's, it's both literal and symbolic, and there's a lot of, I'll just say, innuendo in this, right? Um, but towards the end of this text, uh, there's something just very clear that she's speaking to him about, and this is a very reasonable thing to be concerned about. And that is what she's calling these little foxes. You know, she's about to be married to this man, and she's saying to him, like, let's weed out the foxes that'll keep things from blossoming to its full potential. That is, foxes are destructive animals when it comes to the vineyard. They would, they would dig up the vines, they would eat the fruit, they would prevent it from growing, and they would ultimately, if there was enough of them, actually kill the vineyard. And so throughout Scripture, foxes are not a popular animal because it really keeps things from, from coming to fullness of life, these foxes do. And so you see different references in Scripture that sort of illustrate how they view foxes. But almost every single time you see a fox that's cast in a negative light, you see them being shunned or shamed or compared to something negative, or in some stories, foxes are being tied together and set on fire because that's what you do to foxes. So there's a story in the Gospel of Luke where the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, At this very hour, some Pharisees came to him and they said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today, and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. That is, the Pharisees are warning Jesus about Herod's intent to kill him, and Jesus is like, 
you tell that fox what's going to happen. And of course, this is sort of an allusion to his crucifixion and resurrection on that third day. Herod can't get rid of Jesus. But Jesus is being clear that Herod is a fox. And Herod is the, the ruler of this region. He represents Rome. He represents everything that is wrong. And Jesus compares him to this fox. You see this happen in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, chapter 13, verse 4. Ezekiel says, Your prophets have been like foxes among ruins, O Israel. He's addressing all the false prophecies, the false teachings, all the ways that people haven't been faithful because of what has been talked about and not followed through on. And so Ezekiel's saying, you know, your prophets have been like these foxes. They've been foxes. And so foxes equal false kings. They equal false prophets. Foxes are deceptive. They're full of false promises, false hope. They don't bring life. They ultimately bring decay and ultimately death. False prophets bring death. False kings bring death. Little foxes digging in the vineyards bring death. And so the bride is saying to her husband-to-be, go out and catch these foxes and let's get rid of them. And you see, there's so many different foxes that can sort of creep up in any sort of relationship, whether it be between a husband and wife or between a friend or a co-worker or, or between a, a son and a parent or a parent to a child or a child or daughter to a parent. Sorry, don't want to be too exclusive here. Uh, there's lots of opportunities for things to go wrong. I mean, foxes are negative, and so you want to get rid of them. And in this text, she, she talks about not just the big foxes, which we all kind of, I mean, there's a lot of big things that we can all point to and say that's, that's a big thing that will ruin a friendship, that's a big thing that will ruin a marriage. But she encourages her husband to catch the little foxes, and the little foxes um, are the things that I think build up over time. They're not always the most obvious things. Sometimes they're the subtle things. And over time, those subtle things do build up and become big. And so what are some of these foxes that, that maybe we want to capture and prevent from sort of becoming pervasive in all of our relationships, whether they're with friends or coworkers or a spouse? Well, one of the, the little foxes really is simply communication. I mean, communication as much as it's talked about and as much as people point to it, it's actually, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for things to go wrong here, right? Um, it's hard to tell another person what you actually think and feel. Because you have to be assertive and confident enough to do it. So what do most people do? They never actually share what they think or feel. Or they become passive-aggressive, and it leaks out in ways that aren't helpful, and it becomes really, really confusing. And so one of the things that I talk about uh, sometimes when I do marital therapy or counseling um, is I talk about what we call negative feedback and a positive feedback loop. And this happens in a lot of relationships. And, and the best example I have for it is something that's common to every man, I think. Okay? And we'll see if you know what this is. So here's the question. What do you want for dinner tonight? And what is always the answer? Almost always. I don't care. Am I right? Okay. Oh, you don't care. Okay. Let's go to Taco Bell. Ooh. 
I'm not in the mood for Taco Bell. Okay, let's go get Italian food. Oh, I'm not really sure about that. Well, what do you want? Actually, I think I really want a hamburger. Why didn't you say so? You don't care, but you want a hamburger, right? Have you ever experienced this or some version of this? So what I always tell couples is what, what you're actually doing in this moment is you're actually training the person you're in a relationship with not to believe what you say. You're actually telling them that not to not only not believe what you say, but you're telling them that you want them to guess what you want, and they better be able to read your mind to know what you want, and if they love you, they'll get it right. This is a communication problem. Because again, you have to be assertive enough and clear enough to simply say, I actually want a hamburger. But again, as you try to accommodate one another, you actually communicate poorly. And one of the other things I talk about is the difference between a critique and a criticism. Um, I love this. So a critique is like, um, this is not autobiographical at all. Like, <laughs> why are your socks on the floor? I, could you pick your socks up off the floor? That's a critique. It's like a simple ask. It's something you don't like, something you're frustrated with. Maybe you say this to your children. Maybe your husband. I don't know. A criticism is, what? Were you born in a barn? Pick your socks up off the floor. You see, it's, it, it's a subtle difference. One's just sort of saying, I don't like it when it's on the floor. Pick it up. Another one's actually going for your character. <laughs> it's saying something more. That's a communication problem. That's the kind of little phrases that build up over time and create bigger issues. It's digging in the vineyard. And honestly, I could probably go on for 30 more minutes just on this one. So many things that, of course, I never do because I'm perfect. <laughs> What's another one? Money. You know, money, scripture talks a lot about money because money is the root of a lot of problems, actually. It occupies a lot of our focus, our time, and our attention. I mean, just think about this. Like, when you're younger, you don't have it. <laughs> you go to school, and you collect debt, and you get out, and, and maybe you start paying it off, and maybe you start to get into a better place financially, and then what do you do? You get married and decide to have kids. And what does that do? Puts you back at the beginning. And you keep struggling with it, and you keep figuring out how to pay your bills. And maybe you buy a house, now you have a mortgage. Maybe it's never enough, you just never know. I mean, it just kind of keeps building and building and building. And not only that, but everyone has a different relationship with money. Like even my kids over time have had different relationships with money as they've figured out what it means and what it represents and, and the things they ask for and say. For some, money is viewed as something for status. Like you see somebody who has a nice house, you see somebody who has a nice car, and you admire them, not because of the things, but because you think it represents a higher status, and that's what you want for yourself. And so where are you going to put your money? You're going to put your money in things that make it seem like you have more status. Some people view money for security. It's the safety net. And these are the people that, like, you can never put enough money away in your 401k or in your Roth or in your savings account. Like, there's just no end because you just never know. And so there's a drive to constantly be saving. 
Some people view money for entertainment. That's what they value it for. Like, why work as hard as you do if you can't enjoy it? Like, let's go to the movies. Let's take nice vacations. Let's get massages and spa days. Like, it's really meant to be used for our enjoyment. And some view money as control, meaning if they're in charge of the bank accounts, if they're in charge of the purse strings, then they have control over their life, and and that brings them comfort. And so you can see really quickly, like when you get into a relationship, what happens when one person values money for entertainment and another person values money for security? Why are you spending so much? Why are you saving so much? We're supposed to enjoy it, but we need to worry about this. Why do you worry so much? And then la, 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 la. And so this is one of those little foxes. Like you, you have to, again, this kind of goes back to communication, but you have to understand like what's driving our desires behind money and how do we interact around it in those relationships as a parent to a child or a husband and wife. And so it's a little fox. Another fox is Faith. I mean, I've seen this one happen time and time again. Like when, you, when people get into a relationship or, or sometimes when kids go off to college, you see this dynamic play out here too. Like what is faith? What's the value here? Is going to church important? Is that what we do as a family? Um, is it important to tithe or not tithe? That kind of goes back to money as well and faith. Do we pray together as a family? Do we do devotions together as a family? Do we pray as a husband and wife? Do we do devotions together as a husband and wife? Do we baptize our child? Or do we baptize them when they're older? Do we like church with moving lights? Or do we like church with no moving lights? I mean, you start to see how when it comes to questions and matters of faith and worship styles and preferences, like if if there's a lot of divergence there, um, it can become difficult to navigate. It can be challenging. So this is a a little fox that, that as people come together, like they have to figure it out. Like what do we value as a family? What's important to us and what are we gonna do about it? And where do we go from here? Another little fox, frankly, is time. I mean, if you have kids, you understand this. And if you work, you understand this. If you work and have kids, you understand this. Like, there's just not enough time. I mean, you can get so busy with everything that you don't connect with your spouse, you don't connect with your kids, you don't connect with your friends, um, you, you barely connect with your coworkers maybe, but you find yourself just like constantly running from one thing to the next and there's no real depth to any of it. It's just sort of bouncing around trying to get things done and it gets really, really difficult then to be connected. And you, and, you, and you see this happen really quickly, and it, it sneaks up on you, because you can, you, you know, if you're task-oriented, if you have a job, if you have responsibilities, like, you get focused on it. You got to do it. You got to do it. And you end up sort of losing things in the process. I mean, one of the biggest pinch points that I see is, is when a family 
who has been spending so much time and energy chasing after their kids' wants, desires, wishes, and dreams, and they've divided and conquered to make sure they get into every sport and activity, gone to every tutor that they possibly can, and supported them in every single way. Well, eventually they go to college and, or, or leave your house, and you've invested all your time and energy in that, and then they go. And then you look at your spouse and you go, who are you? Because you haven't really been connecting for the past 10 plus years because you haven't had time. So this is a real fox. And it's hard in the midst of the busyness to stay in sync with people. And you begin to distance and lose connection. And so all these things, and there's more. I mean, there's so many more, right? Um, But I don't want to go into all of it and depress you. (laughs) Be like, "Ah, there's a list of therapists on your way out today if you need help. (laughs) But the real question is, like, with all these foxes, like, what do we do? Like, what, how do you, how do you, like, she asked the husband, like, capture them and weed them out? Well, it's, first of all, let me just, let me just say, you, you can't. Not totally. Because you're human, and you're married to a human, and your children are humans, and your friends are humans, and, and it means that they're going to disappoint you. They're not going to live up to all your hopes and expectations. And the reality is, if you put your faith in your spouse or in your friends or in your children and the future, if, if that's where all your energy is going to go, there is going to be a day when you are really disappointed that your husband or wife didn't do something they should have, your children didn't make a choice that you wish they would have, or your friend does something that hurts. So the question isn't so much how do we get rid of the foxes? We should try to get rid of them. We should be diligent. But for me, the real question is, what do we do when they make their way into the vineyard? How do we respond? Well, the reality is, and this sounds like a a very pastor thing to say, but it really does come down to Jesus. And, And what I mean is that in all of our relationships, every single connection and every bit of our community, there has to be something greater than you and the person you're connected with. There has to be something beyond that because just your bond is not strong enough. It won't last. There has to be something you point to that is greater, that you both point to that is more valuable. And that's what you rest in and connect in. Because if you're both, whether it's a husband and wife or a group of friends or, or co-workers or you name it, you and your children, if, you all are gonna, if you're going to head in the same direction and you say the most important thing is that we follow Jesus and, and, and we are going to strive to be faithful in that way, then what that means is not only are you striving to get rid of the little foxes, but also you know There's going to be failure, and where there's failure, if you're all focused on something greater, you know there's forgiveness. You know there's redemption. You know there's restoration. Brokenness isn't permanent in Christ. It's temporary. 
It's a misstep that's easily corrected and forgiven. You can move on because you value something bigger than yourself or the other person. And the beautiful thing about this, and I kind of mentioned this last week um, in some of the services, but um, I said, you know, I don't, I don't even know in the future what marriage is going to be. I don't think I said that in this service. But I, I just sort of question, like, when it comes to relationships, like, what is, what are relationships going to look like? And maybe, maybe there won't be marriage like there is now or like there was. You know, maybe things won't look the same. And when I think about that, I think how much greater than in all our relationships is the witness to Christ when we can be moved beyond ourselves to something greater so that when the world sees not only our marriages but our friendships and our relationships with our children redeemed because of our faith. Not perfect. We're not faking it. But when people see our brokenness, and see us forgive, remain connected, and move forward, they see light. They see something that is not common because it's much easier to give up than it is to keep connected and keep going in all relationships. And so I pray that not only do we pursue the foxes and get rid of them, trap them. I pray that we're diligent to just see them, frankly. We don't even see them always. But if we can't get rid of them or we miss them, my biggest prayer is that no matter what happens in all of our relationships, in every way, we can look to Jesus and we can love others like him and love ourselves because of him. And so we trust in him and continue to move forward together. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.